0: I've heard from many of you that you're praying for me daily and I've heard that from several people in our church and I want to say thank you for your prayers. The truth is I'm under a tremendous amount of pressure as we seek God's will for North Etowah and for our future. And there are some transitions that must be made and you're aware of many of those. And I ask you to continue to pray for me that I will seek uh, the Lord's will and follow him and that God would prepare the way within our hearts to follow him as he leads us uh, into the future that we may reach our community with the gospel of Christ. And it must be about the gospel's sake. And, um, and pray that North Etowah, our church, I, I, our desire is that we want to be a low drama, no drama church. And we need to be praying that God would do that in our own hearts. Along with that, if you would have your Bibles this morning, turn, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number three. The book of Hebrews, chapter number three. I want to read in verse number seven. Hebrews, chapter three, verse number seven. We're going to read uh, a few verses, and if you're able, stand with us for just a moment for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter three began reading in verse number seven. The Bible says, "Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness." Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts and have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Today I want to preach for a few moments this morning on this thought how to die in the wilderness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit might move into our midst. God, may you begin to work in our hearts, and Lord, may you call to attention, Lord, the things that are truly important. God, may you cause us, Lord, to pick up our cross and to follow you Lord, wherever you may lead, God, that we might not die in the wilderness, but God, that we may enter into the promises of your holy word. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Here in this passage of Scripture, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with Christ throughout this this passage, especially the early portion of Hebrews, and here in verses 1 through 6, he's dealing with the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ was faithful to, um, in all things, and in all things, he honored the Father, and it's dealing truly with the the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. But then in verse number 7, here we have a transition from the faithfulness of Christ, and he begins to deal with the faithfulness of the believer. Truly, it is a, a, a truth of all Christians that we should be like Christ is. The question was asked this week, presented to me, on uh, are we, or will we become the moral equivalent of the Father? Although I believe that one day when we are glorified and our glorified bodies in heaven, we will be like he is and without sin. The truth is that right now we are not that. We still have the flesh and sin and we do not uh, uh, always honor God the way that we should. And yet there is still a command that within the word of God that we are to be holy as he is holy. And we as believers should seek our li- in our lives and our hearts to honor God in all things. We're commanded to do so by the word of God, but also love demands that we follow and honor God. And, and I desire to please him because I love him. And he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so we should strive to be like Christ. Here in Hebrews chapter 3, we see the, the, great, the, the standard bearer, which is Jesus Christ, setting the standard of what faithfulness looks like. And the Bible says he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so Jesus has set the bar of faithfulness um, at the tip top of the mountain. He is the standard. There is none above him. And yet here by contrast, the Bible turns and shows us the opposite of what that faithfulness looks like. And this was transparent in the life of Israel there in the wilderness journey. The first thing we see here is in verse numbers uh, 8, uh, 7 and 8, it says, or verse number 8, it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. To understand this, we have to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, and beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandments of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the Of the elders of Israel so he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying is the Lord among us or not Here we find, as we read in just a moment, that eventually this generation of people, they died in the wilderness without knowing the promises and the blessings of God. But the first issue that we see that that the writer in Hebrews calls to our attention is that they would not follow God, and their first step towards dying in the wilderness was that they had an uncontrollable or an unquenched thirst. They had a thirst. I know what it's like to be thirsty, and I'm sure you have as well, been places where just you would give anything for a drop of water, dehydrated and thirsty. And yet all thirst is not bad, yet here in the, sake, in the life of Israel, we find that their thirst was an ungodly, an unrighteous thirst. What was the problem? The problem was is that they were thirsting for things that were in the past. They were thirsting back for Egypt. They said, listen, have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? And time and time again in the life of Israel as they journey through the wilderness, we see Israel looking back to Egypt, to the place of bondage, to the life they had that was enslaved in Egypt, saying, listen, we wish we had the leeks and the onions and the good things in Egypt and they kept longing they were thirsty for the past. They longed for the past. They were looking back into their history and saying I wish things were the way they were before when I was familiar when things were pleasing, when my life was although it may have been difficult or hard yet I had some certainty in my life. There was a long for the past. If we're not careful we will turn our attentions into the past with an unquenchable thirst. It can be so in our marriage. We're people who are married. Maybe you're here today and this may hit home. Maybe not. But some get married and after a while they find out that married life is not always as easy as they thought it was going to be. It takes a lot more work than they anticipate, and all of a sudden they begin to think back, well, I, I long back for the past when I could do my own thing, when I could do whatever I wanted, make my own way, be my own boss. I didn't have to be accountable to a spouse. And you can begin to long be thirsty for the past in your marriage. It can happen in our church. We can look back to the way things were and the way things used to be and desire to resurrect the past. and Yet, looking our eyes behind us can lead us to die in the wilderness. It can be in our unconvicted old self. There are some people who I I believe are Christians. They're saved. They're born again. They're children of God. But somewhere along their life, they begin to uh, stray away from God. And if you're not careful, even as a believer, I believe that you can get to a place where you began to thirst for the world and sin. Where in your heart you began to look back and say, listen, I wish I could go and do whatever I wanted and not feel the convicting pull of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want to tell you something, if you go that, down that road far enough, God will eventually say, okay, then go. But be careful what you ask for, you will die in the wilderness. Along for the past. Israel said, listen, we just, we want the water, we want what we're familiar with. And that long for the past became their demise. The second thing was, with their unquenched thirst, was they were thirsty because of the past, but they were also thirsty because they were unsatisfied with the future. They were unsatisfied with what God had in store for them. And they said, listen, we're thirsty for what we have had before. See, God was about to do some new things in the life of Israel. He was about to bring about some new methods. They had never seen water come out of a rock, but God was about to provide water from them in a method they were not used to. They were used to wells, and there were no wells in the wilderness. They were used to rivers, and there were no rivers in the wilderness. And so now all of a sudden they are to a place where the future looked different than the past. And they're there and they become uh, unsatisfied with the new methods that God is about to use. This was their step towards dying in the wilderness. But also not only were there new methods, but there were new supplies that were to be given. God was about to give them manna and quail. They were about to eat heavenly food from God Yet they still wanted leeks and onions of Egypt. God was about to meet their needs and and, and supply their every need. He was about to bring them into a land that flowed with milk and honey. And God was doing wonderful things so that the end of Israel was going to be better than the beginning. God had great things in store. Yet they were unsatisfied with the future. Well, the unquenched thirst began to work. And from the unquenched thirst came an uncontrolled fear. Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, you're probably familiar with this story. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You familiar with the story when Peter walked on water? What happened? The Bible says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He saw what he saw changed his heart till he became fearful. That uncontrollable fear. Numbers chapter thirteen, verses one through two. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Send me to spy, or send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them." You familiar with the twelve spies that uh, that were sent out? As a kid, we used to sing, 12 men went to spy on Cain, and 10 were bad, and 2 were good. Do you all know that song? Did you all do that in children's church? What do you think they saw in Cain, and 10 were bad, and 2 were good? Some saw giants big and strong. Boy, I love that part when I was a little boy. Some saw grapes and clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. 10 were bad, and 2 were good. And that, that's what happened. They sent them out. But what happened? Numbers chapter 14, beginning of verse number 20. You find that they came back with a bad report. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. God said, listen, they would not follow me. They have tried me. They they would not go forward and do as I have commanded. And God said, they'll die in the wilderness. All the sacrifice, the time in the wilderness. And yet God said, Because you won't follow me, because you will not go forward and possess the land that I've given you, you'll die in the wilderness. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. Yes, the the 10 went in, or the 12 went in, and 10 of them came back and said, Listen, yes, there's huge clusters of grapes, and it's a land that flows with milk and honey, but there's giants in the land. There's walled cities like Jericho that are too great for us, and, and this way looks too difficult. We will not follow because of fear. Fear of the unknown. See, the promised land, Canaan, and some of you from talking about last week, we're going to be going there next year. I'm excited about this trip. You're going to get to see this land that flows with milk and honey. firsthand. I pray that you're planning on joining us. And uh, a beautiful place, but they never saw it because of fear. And if we're not careful, we'll look at the past, and we'll look back and we'll long for the past. We'll long what we used to have, what what used to be the norm, and we'll look back at our lives and go, I want to go back, and because we're so focused on trying to get back to where... Things used to be or where we used to be in our life that we look to the future and go I'm too fearful because the future does not look familiar I've never seen it and so therefore we cause our hearts to be locked down with fear and we don't go forward and God says listen if you don't go forward you're going to die in the wilderness talking about faithfulness fear of the unknown Fear of change. Fear of change. Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years. God had delivered them out with a wonderful hand. God had done a great work but in Israel they had provisions. In the wilderness, God had fed them with manna and quail from heaven, water out of a rock. Do you think they should be able to trust in God by this point? And yet they look at the blessings of Canaan and go, no. I mean, God had already defeated Pharaoh, the armies of Egypt, the greatest military might and power of that day and time. And Yet they look into Canaan, some Philistines, and go, no, we can't. God can't do this. Some things are going to change and we're not willing to accept it. And So they had the fear that gripped their hearts. But thirdly, in the end look at me in verse number 10 it says therefore i was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways finally there was an unfounded betrayal an unfounded betrayal because of their fear Their thirst for the past, eventually they became so inwardly consumed that they betrayed God. The Bible says they always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. There's two parts here. One is they didn't know where God is leading God said, they don't even know my ways. I understand. Sometimes the future can be intimidating when we don't know what God has in store. It can, it's, it can be a scary thing. Brother Bob, I don't want to single you out, but you're taking a new journey tomorrow. I'm sure you're excited about it, but there has to be a, a part of anxiety in your life because there's some things you're going to have to face that are, that are. Uh, God, what are you doing? And, but if we're not careful, we will take where we... Not knowing where God is leading and if we're not careful we will use that as an excuse to betray him and say well God since I don't know I'm just not going to follow and that's exactly what they did because they did not know where God is leading they refused to follow Christ they said Lord since I don't know we're not going to follow And yet that is what faithfulness is. Jesus Christ set the example. He said, I'm going to be faithful to God no matter where he leads, no matter what he does in my life, which took him to the cross where he gave his life. Jesus said, I'm going to be faithful. And then he comes to us and says, listen, don't be like Israel. Don't betray me. Don't forsake me because you don't know my ways, but rather place your trust in me and be faithful and say, God, wherever you lead me, I'll follow Lord, if it takes me going through Egypt, if it takes me going through the Red Sea, God, if it takes me going into a new land and possessing it for your name's sake, Lord, we want to follow. See, I want to possess a land, an area. And the place that God's called us to possess is Etawan, McMinn County. Who's going to reach our community? Who's going to reach our families, our marriage, our children, our home? But if we're not careful, we'll get our eyes distracted off what lies in front of us, and we'll look back to Egypt, where God did some wonderful things, but we get our eyes off of the prize. then will allow fear to say, listen, I refuse to change. I refuse to change. Some people have told me, I've heard I refuse to change. I've got my way. Other people want their way. And I wouldn't dare say what, but I was told just recently a couple weeks ago, some people want their way. The difference is I demand mine. Wait a second. What about God? What what if God's way means that we have to yield our will? And say, "Lord, it's not about me, it's about you." God, I'll set my preferences aside. I'll set my opinions aside. Lord, I just want your will to be done. God, do we reach our town and our community for you before they die and go to hell? While we sit back with our preferences and wonder why they're going to hell and don't even care. We're going to have to make up our mind and make a decision that, God, we're going to follow you. We're not going to die in the wilderness of the present or the past. But, God, we're going to follow you in the promised land. And whatever it is you set before us, God, we're going to be willing to follow. It matters too much. The cost of not doing it means that our loved ones, our family and our friends, that they die and go to hell without Christ. And I refuse to do it. I refuse to let them die without Christ. While we struggle over things that don't matter. Is he not worth it? Is Christ not worth it? Is our loved ones not worth it? I want to get my eyes off of Egypt. I want to lay my eyes upon the promises that God has in front of us. Say, Lord, with your help, I want to go in, and I want to possess the land for your sake and for your name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning... Church, I want to ask you right now, who would join me in the altars? Brother Ronnie, we're not going to sing right now. We just have some piano playing. But I wonder, church, who would come forward and join me in prayer and say, God, with your help, I refuse to die in the wilderness. Lord, I want to go forward and reach our town, our community. the cause of Christ. I'm going to go to the altar and pray. Church, I ask if you would, those that would, would you join me?